you're, you're, you know, you're too extra in your allyship to the, to the criticism of being performative. Yeah. So then people don't know what to do. And then the criticism is you're not doing enough. Okay. Wait, so, is that a, is that a, is that a, is that a phrase? You're too extra? Yeah. That's, do you do not have TikTok? Hey there, if you've joined the podcast today, my name is Chris Jarvis. I work with companies on employee giving and volunteering programs. And my name's Jake McIsaac. I spend a lot of time thinking about public safety and restorative justice. So we are having conversations here that we've been having for 20 years. Yeah, the only difference now is we press record and share it with you. Thanks for joining. This week of The Disorienting Dilemma, I'm gonna talk to Jacob about a presentation I did where I said, you know, as a white guy, just do no harm is actually a pass for me. I get to hand on a fully intact racist system to the next generation. Instead, I need to be a saboteur. And I invite Chris to ask his black friend, well, biracial friend, any question he wants, and I'll try to get it at least half right. And the way that's set up, I'm a little terrified. Let's see what happens. I was in Atlanta last week and uh, I was giving a presentation at a conference. I have to tell you, it is kind of cool to be back in planes and hotels and just seeing a bunch of people. This just a sort of a weird- A little bit of normalcy coming back. Yeah, kind yeah, of a, sure. a fun dynamic that comes with that, um, that I didn't realize I kind of missed that much because I mm. you know, do it a lot usually. Yeah, so, so uh, what was the- uh... What was the presentation? Well, interestingly, it was on behavioral science uh, and the application of nudge theory to sort of help people notice or follow through on their intentions to do good, either giving or volunteering. But we did get into some interesting conversations about um, how human beings are wired and have you uh, just... Well, when I think about nudge theory, I, I'm yeah. thinking maybe a commercial application, like something yeah. that, that people figure out, like, uh, you want me to buy a car? You figure out how to sell me the car and nudge me in that direction. Like, how do you make nudge theory work the way you... Or or, or nudge me toward happiness and wealth? And how, how do you make it land in terms of the work that you are talking about? Well, it, it's been an interesting process because... Um, and we, and we are through the Institute working with uh, Starbucks and KPMG and um, uh, a couple others. Um, name, name drop for sponsorship. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they want, we're not going to say no. SAP in Germany. Uh, so, and so these are large companies and they want to get, uh, here's the thing. If you do a survey at a company and you said, would you right. like to volunteer or give or make a contribution to improve your community? You know, mm -hmm. uh, normally you're going to get a number back between 70 and 90%. And these people. are with employees? Employees. Okay. So a couple hundred thousand people around the world said, love to. So okay. then you send out the opportunity and they're like, this looks great. The people who see it say that. Um, 90% okay. of the people will never see these. They just don't notice the communications because... For most people, volunteering, formally volunteering or giving in the community isn't, it's it's a rather, it's it's kind of tied to a season or a period in your life. It's not like a, a part of your lifestyle, like I go bowling or I'm part of the swim team kind of thing. Do you, do you know what I mean? Okay. So, 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 so the company sends out a notice and it's kind of, it goes to junk mail? 
Is that what you mean? Like no one sees this? No, no, it, it, it comes. But the, the, the funnest thing in my day is getting up in the morning and deleting a hundred emails that yeah. pertain to me, but I don't have to do anything with. And that's the category that this goes into. So, so you see it, but you can't get past you, the subject line. You're not, exactly. you're not clicking on it. Okay. So I have a, I have a buddy just as a quick aside, who uh, is a, was a um, elementary school principal. Yeah, and he tells this story, about, and it's a it's a great story, and maybe I'll butcher it up sometime uh, <laughs> at another time. But he tells this piece around permission slips, uh, sending permission slips home for with a grade three student, and the parents saying, "I never got it." And at the end of the school year, there are about four hundred things crumpled in the bottom of a school bag. <laughs> To me, ever since that has become the image of junk mail, that is my three-year-old, my my grade three brain being like, yeah. oh, that's not important. Yeah, that's not important. Why would well, that matter hockey to me? Card. This is hockey cards important, but not that. What's that? Anyway, so sorry. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And, and the reason that is, that's a great example because 95% of the human brain is designed to be somewhat automated and respond with quickness, efficiency, mm -hmm. and to salient cues in the environment and then just uh, white noise out the rest. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause we, there's too much information. We can't remember it all. We don't know which bits of information we should be able to remember. And then finally we need to act fast. So we used about 180 cognitive biases to navigate the world each and every day. And 95% of our decisions are based on those. So when we're designing an opportunity to get into the community and do something good, you want to make sure that you're paying attention to how humans actually make decisions. Sure. And cue people to say this you said this was important to you because of x y and z and there's even ways that you can write emails and whatnot in sort of an f pattern based on how we read emails and some other cues in there that can really help and so we were looking to bring those kinds of insights to help companies you know support their employees better in giving back which is what they want to do so so in the show notes can we add some stuff around nudge theory and Oh and, yeah, that'd be, oh, okay. that'd be awesome. Yeah. So, and so, we should, we actually could do a much deeper dive in it because, um, some of your work around restorative justice, I think there's some, uh, mm -hmm. interesting overlap there. No, we'll, we'll do that for sure. Uh, okay. So you're, you're talking to a group, you're in Atlanta, you're, you're talking about nudging them in this direction. Yeah. And, and then what happened? And at the end, what I wanted to do was, and this is what I wanted to, uh, see what you thought of this. Um, at the end, I wanted to help people understand this isn't just about, you know, we're, people are volunteering, our company volunteers 50,000 hours. What if we could volunteer 100,000 hours? Because who knows whether that's good? Was it helpful? Was it actually a more of a burden on the nonprofit? You, you need a, an output is not a good why statement. You, you kind of need to go further. And so I said, in the work that we're trying to do, when we get out in the community and we do volunteering, especially with our outgroups, groups that we may not normally interact with, like, say, the homeless population, we're creating space where we can grow, where we can begin to challenge ourselves, how we see ourselves in the world, our role in the world, what we believe to be true about the world, and how we act in the world. I mean, it's this safe space to have some really big considerations about who am I, what's my contribution. Mm -hmm. um, you know, th th that's what this space should be. It's okay. not always, but it can be if you do it in the right way. Right. So you have to, you have to make it safe. And, um, yeah. so when you're talking about making it safe, is it like a reflective space? Like it's safe for me to think about and do some analysis or is it safe to ask a question or like, or all of that? 
Yeah, all of those kinds of things. So we we frame it with a, a brief on the front end, which talks about why we're doing this. And I think we've talked about this previously yeah. in the show, but why this matters in terms of uh, who is the beneficiary? Can I imagine what it would be like to be them? And secondly, what is the significance of this task? So those two things at the front end are key. Mm-hmm. And then on the back end, we try to encourage, we create this you know, it's 60 seconds, 90 seconds space. And and you definitely remember from Sunday suppers, uh, we used to do a version of this and just say, what did you experience? Yeah. And was it what you expected? And we try and resolve any cognitive dissonance or give them the information where they can do that work. So that's, that's at the event. And that's kind of cool. And so for this audience, I wanted them to remember, this isn't just about doing more good or quote unquote, making a difference. This is about the kind of internal change, the internal work that we need to do. And then I wanted to give them some context, especially if we think about the the internal work we need to do around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Okay, so right. this is this is the part where I wanted to ask you about. I said as a, a 53-year-old white guy, I sit on, it. it's not a technical term, it's what how I describe it, sort of nodes of intersectionality. So Intersectionality obviously is the multiple aspects of a that a person that come together to comprise their identity and intersectionality is very interested in what are the areas where I may run up against stereotypes or you know um, I can't think of the right word yeah I mean the these 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 moments of privilege and oppression that are just right. intersecting right they're layering okay yeah so right right you're sitting on this node. Right. So I, so I sit on that note. I'm usually the person dispensing the, that those stereotypes or responding with that kind mm. of uh, oppression. Maybe I don't view it that way, but I'm the one, I'm the type of guy who's doing the hiring, running the department, chief of police, running for office. I, I typify that person and all other people with these intersecting aspects of the personality, which to which I may respond prejudicially, mm-hmm. um, they have to deal with me on that node, right? Okay, so yep. that's that's the I'm I'm a so so p- positionally that matters. Like this yeah. is you you have the authority, you yes. have the uh, the trust the role, of the group, the trust. Yeah. Okay, and 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 your perspective generally carries the day. Is that right? Exactly that. that. Okay. Yep. So okay. given that, I said. The mantra to do no harm for me is horrible. Mm-hmm. And here's why. If I sit on that note of power and I no longer speak with microaggressions because I'm aware of that and I'm paying attention to that. And if I follow the new diversity, equity, and inclusion rules rolled out by the company and I add a couple people of visible color, let's say, to my leadership team. And I refrain from certain types of language or hiring practices so that we can be more inclusive and represent better our communities with proper levels of diversity. And I do all of that. And I die and I hand over to the generation behind me a fully intact system within which I found new rules and guidelines so that I didn't do harm. I am actually keeping the whole thing going. I am proactively handing an intact system of oppression to the next generation where they too can behave better. And I said, so the goal of this work, 
or my obligation anyways, is not just to not hurt people. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. to proactively undo the system that is designed to hurt them and to keep them in a certain, you know, socioeconomic standing, in certain standing before the law and whatnot. So I have to I, do no harm for me. It doesn't work. It needs to be you're called to be a saboteur almost of the system. So that's what I said. And uh, and to a mostly white audience. What was the reaction? And it, Well, I, I think it resonated. Okay. And I think it was the first time most people had thought of it, including the black people in the in the audience. And that that gave me pause. And I thought, you know what I should have done first before articulating a thought that had been going around in my head? I should have had a conversation with Jake. And then that brought me to a very interesting place where I thought, yeah, but why Jake? Right? Yeah. Why Jake? (laughs) We all lean in wanting to hear the answer to this so so on today's episode (laughs) i thought well how about this why don't i make it easier then oh my god yes thank you on today's episode why don't i invite you uh to ask me and invite you to this conversation like i think that is a not just a even though we're trying to maybe be funny here what if this is a space where i just actually give you space to ask questions that you may want to know in and not in an offensive way where like, I've got to ask my black friend, but actually we're co-laborers in this kind of conversation of, right. we were trying to do something. And I think it's what you just said. It's going one step beyond do no harm. Uh, this is that the difference between you're doing too much or you're, you're, you know, you're too extra in your allyship to the to the criticism of being performative. Yeah. So then people don't know what to do and then the criticism is you're not doing enough. Okay, wait. So, is that a, is that a is that a is that a phrase? You're too extra? Yeah, that's. Do you do you not have TikTok? I Did you I did do. you say is is 50 the cutoff year? I do, but it's too white. Oh, I don't know. Oh, too okay. extra. I don't that's know. too extra. That's too huh. extra. You're doing too much. You're just settle down. Calm down. You're going too far. <laughs> like we get it. I see you. What does settle that look like? Down. Okay. Okay. So, uh, so that's what we're going to do for a few minutes here. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. <laughs> or that... the criticism on the other side is yeah. okay. that I think is in the self-reflection piece where you're constantly saying, am I doing enough? Right. right? Yeah. So let's, so let's, let's get into it. All right. So I can ask you any question because this is a this this is kind well, of a hall pass for questions to your black friend. Uh, well, it it can be, and I can give you any answer. It's a hall pass for answers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, very good, very good. Here's the thing: I realized when I was thinking about bringing this up today. Okay, I don't know how I see you first, right? Like, I do I see you as a is it male first, black first, incredibly smart, insightful, contemplative person first? Is it the guy who I go to who knows about restorative approaches and understandings and justice? Um, like I don't. And then I thought, well, what what should it be? So getting past the sort of the colloquial yeah. or or the funny meme of uh, white. White guy asking black guy what he should think. Yeah, your uh, your identity to me. I'm not sure how I 
how I see you first and what's, you know, am I being honest with that? And does it matter? Like, do you ever wonder how, how I, I perceive you? Well, I, I wanted it to be a different question that I could just roast you on. And unfortunately, um, uh, uh, I'm pretty sure there's lots of room well, for roasting. <laughs> well, let's, let's see. We're still early in the episode. Okay. I, okay. Uh, <laughs> no. I'm just, uh, you've got me thinking actually when you asked that is I don't know how I see myself first, let alone how I'm read by others first. I have a better sense of how I think I'm read by others. And I yeah. feel like I'm read by others by race first, right? Like, so huh. if I think about, I think that I, in this moment right now reflecting, don't know how I see myself first. Do I see myself as black or male? I think that shifts a bit in my own head to spend, uh, depending on the space I'm in. So if I'm in a space that is predominantly folks who don't look like me, I'm very conscious of what is different. And I feel like in that moment that they are too. So I'm right, but I don't know that to be true. And I'm kind of always hypervigilant for the, for the, either the extra moment where someone's just trying to be nice to the black guy in the room or, um, the, I think it's like extra or exclusion. Where's the, where am I being left out because I'm the black guy? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. You know what I mean? So I, yeah. but I, but I feel that way. Like sometimes if I'm the only guy in the space or at least, you know, and I, 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 I say that realizing that I could also be reading people wrong. I couldn't be misgendering folks by just yeah. looking outwardly. So I, I, yeah. I get that. Um, and I want to just sort of say that up front, but there are these moments where I think for me personally, it shifts. Generally, I think they see black first. That's where final answer. I think I'm, I'm red color first. After being a dude. No, no. I, I, black I, before I, dude? Yeah. Okay. I think so. I feel that way. Yeah. Black dude. Because who... there's often other dudes in the room. Yeah. So I don't think that makes it stand out. And I think we're, you know, doing, talking about your, the, the brain scanning for quick, quick pieces of information. I think people look in a room and see what's different and automatically start to, to read that. And it, at least that's my sense that that's what's happening. What's interesting for me, because I'm, I'm obviously part of the white group is that I, when I walk into a room, it is far more about my experience, who I am, the brand I'm a part of. I have never thought about being white in a room unless I'm, uh, you know, I've been to black churches in the past. But even then, it's kind of like, oh, this is what it feels like to be with an all black. Like, it's sort of um, more of a curiosity than a life skill or or some sort of, uh, right. yeah. I, I, I don't worry about being white. I, I, I think I will probably miss some things, uh, but it's it's different than what. I think how you reflected yours. Yeah. I mean, I, if I look at pictures, we, so walking down the hallway, uh, of the, uh, one of the buildings of, at the university I work at, yeah. uh, where they put the graduates and you can go through sort of by decade, right. Mm -hmm. You see all the graduates and there are some spaces, uh, or particularly faculties. I think about law and I think about medicine there. And, and if you go down the hallway long enough, you find, yeah. 
the one person who kind of sticks out in the picture. And I've often, while walking around, uh, spent a few minutes looking at the photo. I don't know him. I don't know them. Uh, you know, it's usually someone who 70, 80 years ago was a first, was a bit of a pioneer. Uh, right. And I, and I, like I Jackie Robinson them. kind of yeah, but I, syndrome, I, right? It is that. And I see, I see them and I spend a few minutes wondering what it must have been like. I'm in the same space. I'm in the yeah. same hallway. I'm yeah. in the same building. Uh, and it must have been really hard to be the first. Yeah. I think about that and I, and I think other people of color have those moments too, where you just see a person over time and space and you just kind of feel that connection. I wonder what it was like for you. So what do you, what, what would you prefer then? Like, what is your identity first? Is it, should, because I could have easily, somebody could have said to your friend, Jake. I, and, and, and you'd say, um, and, and you, if you ask them, my friend, Jake, yeah, you know, the really smart guy who talks about restorative justice. They're not going to say that. No, you're right. But I don't, hmm. Not that. I. So I don't know if, I don't, you know what's funny here recording this? I don't even know how to ask this question. Like there are a series of questions that are so, either I've not considered or feel so taboo, you know, like, am I, <laughs> of course, that's the white meme joke. Am I even allowed to ask this question? Which is why we're doing this right. podcast. Is to... Okay have weird conversations like this. So, um, yeah. Okay. The buildup to this question is killing me. Oh, there's no question behind it. The question oh, okay. is, there's no, the question is, is this, is like, this what a fair, are you going to ask? Is this, no, yeah. no. Is this a really weird question to ask about identity? And is there, is it, is even the framing of the question appropriate? Like, uh, which part of my identity is first? I don't know. You tell me, like, there's no part that's first. It just, it's depends on the context and who I am in the moment and what I'm dealing with. And cause it all kind of comes into play to one degree or another. I don't know what the right. Well, I, th I think context matters a lot, right? So I love you. I have a long standing. We've had a long standing relationship where where we've gotten to this place where I feel quite safe about you asking a question for mm -hmm. the right reason. Yeah, and I would hang in there with you on this conversation because it matters to me that you you get it. It matters to uh, your kids that you get it. It matters to future generations. Like it matters, and so I mm -hmm. want to hang in there. I, I mean, I would warn that any listener just doesn't go out and oh, yeah. oh my God. start Thank rattling you. off these questions to yes. people without context to say, hey, that uh, that new person, this is the the first black guy we hired at the company. Oh, I should, no. I should oh, go no. ask them. We need to put a warning on the title. Yeah, so it should be. Like, uh, yeah, do, do not, not do this. Yeah. So, but so that, that context, I, I would hope that there are relationships that are safe enough that people cultivate, that they build, that they're, they're, the foundation is mutual care and respect, that it's authentic enough. I think those ingredients will allow for these conversations. And I don't know that you could have them without those. Yeah, I don't think so either. And it, so that splinters off into two other questions that I had. One is, if I have, for whatever reason or other, had a fairly insulated life and I don't have much diversity in my group, and this could apply to anybody, black, white, uh, Asian, whatever it is, 
what, how can I proactively begin to sort of address some of these things uh, to grow and to maybe, because I'm doing it through dialogue and through conversation with you, Yeah, obviously. But if, if that's not available to me, how do I go about it? So that's the first question. Second question is, unavoidably, Jake, in, because of the era that we live in, you have to be sage in this arena for, for our for our conversation. I just, right. you're not going to really say, so Chris, what's it like to be white? You, you know, you live <laughs> in that reality and all that it offers on a regular basis. You are not unaware of how those white people go about things, right? But the reverse, we are having this conversation. So you're always in the sort of Chris... Let me tell you, it, this is not a reciprocal conversation, is it? Fair enough. They're, they're, fair. That, I think that's, that's true. Yeah. That, that the, posture, the posture is not at the yeah. same yeah. place. Yeah. And okay. it's one of the, I mean, besides maybe a skill set or whatnot, let's say I was a tax accountant and you know nothing about it, you would ask me questions, I would dispense my wisdom. Then, mm -hmm. But there's something about that, like you have a bit of knowledge that you've studied for and invested in that I want access to, through, so through our friendship we get that. This one isn't about, you know, what did you read in a book? This is about who we are as human beings. And the default to, I really need you to speak into it from your perspective, and you already get my perspective. Like I could respond to it. It's not like I, you're telling me to shut up or anything like that. But it is that is an interesting dynamic from which the joke comes. I have to go ask my black friend, right? Uh, it it is. But so sort of taking it further, I think it does highlight the the importance of making sure that we pay attention to lived experiences that are different than ours. So it is not just a oh, yeah, that's actually pretty good. Yeah. knowledge base. It's not just mm -hmm. something you know because you studied it. It's something that you lived and you couldn't possibly have access to it in any other way than ask a person who, or, or to get their perspective. And so right. I think whether that's looking at perspectives of folks who are underrepresented uh, in gender, different gender groups uh, yeah. in a workplace, um, I think particularly CEOs or other C-suite members would, would do well to pay attention to the value of lived experiences to shape conversations more generally. Right. If you, to go back to your very first conversation around nudging, if you really wanted to understand how to nudge me, you would understand who I am, all mm -hmm. the parts that mm -hmm. you, you would want to, and not just to sell me something, although that's probably one way that it could happen. And we talked about that in the, um, monetizing slavery episode. Right. Um, I guess that would be a version of nudge. Yep. Um, but if we paid attention more to saying lived experiences matter, right? So experience matters. We're kind of there when we talk about uh, hiring people, we look at education and experience. If we want to test out how a company did, they send out a survey after an interaction saying, tell us about your customer experience. Right. Because this is an opportunity to either level up, to improve, to, to fix what didn't go well. Uh, it's a great way to check in on how things are landing. And so lived experience matters. How do we make that matter in ways that, uh, how do you get access to that then without asking questions? Yeah. It, it and and as you're sharing that, I thought you know, I, that day I was talking at the conference last week. I was my Tourette's was acting up quite a bit. It was it was I mean um it was lots of stuttering, lots of hand gestures, um, just just like normal. 
And so I had conversations with happily with people trying to understand right. that lived experience. And I didn't, I, it's not supercharged with the, the racial issues, obviously, but it did put me in that sage, like that's not going to be reciprocal either. So I, great example of lived experiences and, and lots of different kinds of diversity. And it's okay that there's, there's little reciprocity other than what you may share and I experience and I reflect back to you to say, I see it. Right. Like I, there, there is, as I share my learnings and look to unpack it, I, I do, there is some reciprocity there. I think For sure. I mean, I think when you talk about even, even your, your experience with Tourette's, there are these moments where we can probably see each other and we, we right? should, we can see each other and let met. everybody know, Jake, you lived that experience with me. <laughs> Oh well, I think we talked about it. I think yeah, we talked yeah, exactly. About it in one I, of the episodes in the past, where we'll put it in the show notes so we can link back. But y you were saying, I just, I didn't want people to think that you, ha you're like, oh yeah, he's got this thing, and I'm, I'm, you know, it's vague and not understood no, no. to me because you it, were up front. Yeah, well, a, a, a late onset. What? Yeah, um, is what happened. Yeah. What? How old? Twenty seven. Twenty seven. Yeah. So I mean, being around for that, that was. Uh, disorienting, probably <laughs> for, the, <laughs> for everybody involved, for a whole whole bunch of folks. But but it, it, over the years, um, watching other people interact with you, watching other people read you, when you know, and we again, I think we talked about this before. But it is interesting that in those moments, it is different. And then I think I think people uh, are more open to hear about your experience, and they kind of want to ask you, what is it like? Yeah, I, I, I agree. Right. So I, I don't think it's yeah. different. Uh, well, because it's not supercharged, like uh, somebody walking up, if we were to make this the same kind of thing, they could walk yeah. up and go, oh man, you, you, you do so well with it. I wouldn't even have noticed you were black. Mm -hmm. Um, you yeah. seem to be able to manage that pretty, pretty easily. So you're, you're just not, it's not the same kind of conversation, I guess, but it, it's yeah. an interesting parallel that I hadn't, for whatever reason, we've been friends for so long. I can't, I. I've never even considered. Yeah, no, it's, I think, you know, I think we've got these, these, um, you know, in terms of allyship, these moments where we make commitments about it, but we then start to figure out to your point, like, what's the contribution? Like, am I doing enough? Um, you know, the difference between being, uh, saying I'm not racist. And then to your point about sabotaging and, and deconstructing, uh, systems of of, yeah. of white supremacy and, and 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 power structures, like sabotaging, uh, you know, what does that look like? So how 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 do how how would you want someone to leave your talk? What would you want them to do when they left okay. that talk last week? Great question, great question. So, the, as as this white guy on this note of power over the intersectionality of a lot of mm -hmm. other groups that have to sort of deal with all of the baggage and all of the implicit bias that exists and has been institutionalized in uh, government and systems and culture and a whole lot of things, which a number of people listening may be on the spectrum of belief. Like, yes, that's exactly true to, I don't know if that's true. Maybe that's just what we how we're painting things. I, I get that. But hold, hold, hold on to that for a second. Doesn't matter where you are. As I definitely am the person who says yes or no in a lot of situations, determining someone's life. And I resist the mantra, do no harm, so I can just live peaceably with this system and pass it on to the next one. Live in peace 
with a racistly based system just because it was built by people who were overtly racist because back in the day that was okay. And they just handed that forward and I got that. So I benefit from it. If, if I just hand it forward, it, I, I keep it going. So sabotaging it for me looks like a couple of different things. One, having a public and often embarrassing conversation with my black friend mm-hmm. and then putting that out there. That's one thing. Cause I feel like maybe other people will join the conversation or ask their own questions or maybe have a consideration they haven't before. So that's one example. Not everybody's going to start a podcast and you probably shouldn't. And so moving on. Another thing with our business, we try to work with companies so that they create systems that go into the community and offer not transactional volunteering, like we're going to make the world a better place, which basically means here's how we think the world should work. Let's bend it to our will. And one where you have a transformative experience where you step into the world and you absorb it in a safe space. You're curious. You can imagine what it would be like to be the other person. You're not changing anything. You're just being present to the space. Okay. So that's this second thing. And not everybody's going to start a business like this. So what could people do? Well, in our work with companies, we encourage people to try volunteering. Just mm-hmm. go to an outgroup somewhere. Just go once, have an experience. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that is sabotaging. When you when you say to the system, I will go and voluntarily benefit my outgroup You're already unraveling things. The system does not want that. It will not reward that. It's a brain hack. It's a, yes. Now the brain, you can trigger some very ancient reward systems to make you feel good about it because Mm -hmm. fundamentally as homo sapiens, we're a cooperative, interactive, social group. So you're just helping your brain understand this community is not your group. You do not need to fear Mm -hmm. them. Right. Instead, imagine what it would be like to be them. And that will change your brain and allow you to see the world differently. So if we want to undo the system, we need to do things that the system does not necessarily invite us or reward us to do, like going and volunteering for free with people. And then secondly, we need to, and this is the ultimate system sabotage, mm-hmm. change your brain's wiring, change mm-hmm. the default setting in your DNA that you're going to give to your next generation, change the conversations, change the the standards for what's normative, change the way you address the other and those ideas as always being wrong. Do that for your friends and your family in an incremental way and forward a little bit of a broken, it's not the official perspective. It's not the official way we're supposed to see it. It's not the whitewash history of the United States. I'm handing something where I'm saying, I don't know about this. I'm asking questions here. I behave differently here and I have a different way of talking about it here. So that internal work, I think, needs to be pervasive in your network, in your community. And then you hand that fragmented version forward. And then hopefully, if you've done it right, the next generation will pick it up and pull at it a little bit more. But you ha- we have to have experiences with our outgroup to trigger that whole thing. I, I love the idea of uh, dismantling it over time because you're right. It has been um, hardly constructed over time. Oh, so it's been, it's, it's, (laughs) well, and, and, and of course, uh, once, once it's in place, it just gets reinforced. Right. Um, and so the dismantling of it, it ought to be harder, but there's probably a, there's probably a moment. It's like when that wrecking ball 
hits and there's still some structure to it. <laughs> and then it hits it again and it goes down. But yeah. there's this yeah. house of cards moment when it all mm-hmm. collapses. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there's probably another phase of the rebuilding. Okay, now what? So re- instead mm-hmm. of just um, tear it down, it's, well, what are, what do we imagine could be rebuilt in its place? And I think at the same time we're dismantling, we should be giving equal attention to what are the kinds of conditions required to build something new? Yep. So what are the who are the what are the relationships we need yep. to have in place? Because we, we don't want to create a void that we're not ready for. Yeah. We see that geopolitical. We, topple, we see that when we topple yeah, governments. Exactly. And and so, you know, we don't want to become a hotbed for some kind of extremism. And by the way, uh, we should get out of toppling governments. Just we, 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 we well, the West, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure it's ever been good, but it's certainly <laughs> been good for those who topple. Yeah. It's very rarely good for the gut, for the, anyway, the rest of us. That's a whole nother conversation. Okay. That's an episode coming up. So I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Um, uh, around, um, you know, dismantling, sabotaging, changing our brain. Uh, I one question around changing our brain. You you said earlier we have about 180 biases. Yes. Um, are they all bad? Like, are biases bad, or no. are biases required? Uh, are biases bad, or are biases required? Uh, biases are an unavoidable fact of life. Like Fair. you'll use oxygen to breathe. There's just nothing you can do about it. That's just, and we can surmise from an uh, evolutionary, biological, evolutionary perspective um, why these ones persisted. And other ways of thinking shortcuts didn't, like, oh, mm-hmm. I should share all my food and I'll eat last. Uh, that bias is gone. Like, I don't, that was probably never a bias. These are all very much tied to if you want to stay alive, remember this. A bird in the bush is not worth two in the hand, okay? Or whatever the saying is that we're going to come up with a thousand years from now. (laughs) Birds, bushes, and hands. Pay attention. Next generation. Okay, let's see if we can try this again. So there's this slow accumulation of lived experience that Mm -hmm. is translated into the defaults of your brain. So lived experience, it's a great phrase, um, Interestingly, these are the universal human lived experiences. So they work out in different cultures mm-hmm. and settings. Obviously, if I'm living in a desert versus living in the North Pole, some of those triggers are going to be different. But they are all basically uh, meant to keep you alive uh, because there's too much information. You can't remember it at all. You need to make a decision fast and you wouldn't know which bits of information to draw on for this point. Uh, for this decision anyways there's a there's a great uh illustration of that in um that live wired book by david eagleman where he talks about your inability to retain everything but you need to know something's important in that moment and you need to know when to forget it and he says you know it's like when you go to the shopping mall you remember where you parked your car because it's really important that you find your car when you come out but you don't remember every single place where you parked your car every single time you went to the shopping mall you oh, just remember yeah, that's a great the time example. that you were there well i didn't come up with it a really brilliant guy and david well, we can edit that out jacob said gave this Fair great enough. example <laughs> yeah so so the ability i, I yeah, i'm with you to to purge and to know what's important what to retain 
it's really cool. Really cool yep. way. And uh, you can use these triggers and set a different context because nothing means something you know, mm -hmm. in it objectively, it all means what we think we say it means. So if I'm coming from a place of stereotype, which is, you know, black people just don't work as hard and they uh, blah, blah, blah. False. I'll see something. It'll confirm that stereotype. That is a pervasive stereotype that I, I even grew up with that one. Um, yeah. But if I see the situation and I bring and I and I resist that stereotype and I bring different information, like whatever it may be, that that's kind of how it works. So the bias in and of itself, your great question. Are they bad? No, they're just shortcuts, but we need to do the, the work of grownups to decide how we want to see the world and not just take the defaults of people who lived on the planet, you know, a hundred thousand years ago. I don't, I don't think they were the most informed people. So I'm not just going to assume all of their shortcuts are completely accurate. It's interesting about, um, black people don't work as hard. Uh, there's a, it's an interesting thread to pull uh, because when folks didn't want to work in their own fields and raise their own kids. Uh, the irony of it is the just- The irony. Uh, you, it's, just, it's like a flood as soon as you unpack but we, that right but, there. But, but, we, but we can, um, we'll leave that for another episode. Yeah. And, I, and I, hopefully, Jake, we didn't offend anybody in the audience, but I also don't want to sweep things on the, that is a stereotype that white culture has. So I, so I should say that this conversation has been spurred on by feedback we did receive from a listener uh, that was a, um, helpfully critical, or at least gave us a perspective to consider uh, about you asking me your black friend right. questions. Yeah. And instead of, and so that is helpful. And it is always helpful when folks reach out and give us perspective on something oh my gosh, heard yeah. because we don't always get it right. And right. Oh we want to know more. We So there are lots of ways to do that. Um, leave a comment on the platform where you downloaded this podcast, uh, share it, subscribe, uh, it, like it, hopefully, if you liked it. Uh, this helps us get, get these conversations out, but it also helps us make these conversations better. Yep. Yep. It's been great. Thanks, Jake. Thank you. This has been a Podstarter production. production.